As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. We are back with another episode of Four to Six with A and B, your Ohio State podcast. Here on the Athletic, Bill Landis joined as always with my best friend in the whole wide world, Ari Wasserman. Ari, how you doing? I'm just in shock. I don't really know. I'm 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 flabbergasted. You know what? The thing that I like about our show the most is that we feel like we're honest with people and we're genuine and we're here for the right reasons. And just like The Bachelor. I feel like you were just disingenuous there. What, calling you my best friend in the whole wide world? Yeah, you were lying to everybody. No, that's not a lie. Okay. We'll see. About I said that. it. I, I said it to see your reaction, but it's not a lie. I would never lie did, to the people who listen to this podcast. Did you hear how much dead air there was after I said it? Yeah, like I was trying to process yeah. it. It took me like a solid twenty seconds to get my mind around that. What, watching your face light up after I said it was pretty entertaining. Uh, yeah. Well, that's the good thing about Zoom. We can look at each other while we do podcasts from across the country. Yeah, you're in a darkly lit room, though. I got like I got some nice stage lighting in here. I can barely see you. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and I just like a break from the brightness every now and then. What's like, it like in 150 Ohio, degrees there? In Ohio, it's the exact opposite. It's like I would do anything to see the sun. <laughs> <laughs> and here, I've had enough of it. So it's like there's somewhere in the middle there. But, um, yeah, well, I appreciate it. You're my best friend of the entire world, too. And when I get married, you're going to be my best man. Thanks. You're not uh, going to be the best man at my wedding, but I'm also not having a, a groom, groomsman party, so don't be offended by that. <laughs> Speaking of... Uh, if you of, did, uh, I, that wouldn't change anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we probably wouldn't know. <laughs> Speaking of uh, my wedding that's coming up here soon at a date uh, that will not be announced on this podcast, uh, unless it has been already, 
I put out a call for questions because we're going to do a mailbag episode on this year episode of four to six with a and B and you can submit questions if you're a subscriber and you can get subscribed at the athletic.com slash four dash six gets you 40% off still seven day free trial. One of our fine subscribers, a man by the name of Tyler S decided it was a good idea to put the link to my wedding website in the questions <laughs> submission post. Uh, because somebody asked where I was registered. So uh, shout out to Tyler for posting in there and then making us put a password on the website so not everybody in the world can click on the details of our wedding. So thanks for that. It's August 1st. It is August 1st. Um, let's get the questions now that you... And Leah's going to get mad at you for that. Why? I don't know. I just She's want everybody to realize stuff. that we're like about a month out of like the biggest day of your life. I don't know what the problem is. I didn't say location or where or what the deal is. I just wanted everybody to know that my best friend, I've got to give my best friend away. (laughs) (laughs) You're not giving me away. Nobody is. I'm my own man. You want to do some questions? Yeah, let's just get get to the questions. Let's get right into it. This question was great. And honestly, I feel like we could do like a half hour on this. We're going to try not to. Uh, it was from Tyler S. I don't know if it's the same Tyler S. who posted my wedding link or not, but if it is, I wanted to, to tip my cap to him by asking his question first. His question was, would you trade Justin Fields for Chase Young this year? If not, would you trade him for Chase Young and Jeff Okuda? If not, would you trade him for Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, and J.K. Dobbins? Is there any combination of players you would trade to get back for another year if it meant losing Justin Fields at quarterback? This is the best question that we've ever had on the podcast. I I agree. (laughs) I'm still not 100% sure how to answer it. I think the question that I have before we do this is when you lose Justin Fields, I assume you keep who's on the roster? Yeah, so either C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller would be your quarterback, or Gunnar Hoke. Okay. Do you want me to go first? Yeah. Uh, I would trade um, Justin Fields for both of them. Uh, Chase Young and Jeff Okuda. If I could get back two top five defensive players on this team – you know what? No, I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> what about with the Dobbins sweetener? Would you do it with the I Dobbins think if sweetener? You, if you do it with the Dobbins sweetener, then I'll do it. Because I just realized, I was thinking, well, you know, you got a good running back here, and I just it's an unproven running back situation. And I think Justin Fields, and we got into a little bit of a Twitter battle uh, earlier Tuesday about the best quarterback of the last 20 years at Ohio State, and I'm very passionate about that as Braxton Miller. I think that my answer will change after this year to Justin Fields. Like, that's how high I am on him. And it was interesting because you and I both listened to uh, Barton Simmons um, and Bud Elliott's podcast about uh, quarterbacks. And the point that they made was it's been four years in a row now where a team has won a national championship with a quarterback who was drafted in the first round or whether or not there was a shift in the entire philosophical uh, way you win a championship in college football. And I thought it was a very good episode, and I agree completely. And as much as you want to see Ohio State's defense the way it was last year flying around and, you know, just basically just shutting everything down. And, you know, even though they faltered at the end of the Clemson game, I still thought that they played pretty well in that game too. I just don't think you can do it without a quarterback. Now, um, to me, I think it's possible that the competition between Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud might, you know, produce something that you would feel good about in terms of a quarterback that could get you there. But just going in with no information other than the recruiting rankings – um, and seeing what Justin Fields did in year one and what I think he can do in year two, 
I think it'd be very hard proposition. The only way I would consider it after trying to talk it out loud with you was if you get all three of them, and then even then, maybe I wouldn't. So when I first saw this question, I was uh, driving. Don't look at your phone and drive, but I was doing it. I try not to, but it happened. And I saw, would you trade Justin Fields for Chase Young? I was like, hell no. No, absolutely not. I would never do that. And then I got home, and I read the question more. I was like, well, Young and Okuda is pretty good. And I was like, ooh, Young, Okuda, and Dobbins. I think I might have to do that. But uh, I'm with you. It's really tempting. You're talking about, yeah, you're talking about the the best defensive end in the country, the best cornerback in the country. And I think you can make an argument that J.K. Dobbins was the best running back in the country last year. It's it's a less uh, sound argument than Young and Okuda, but you're talking about possibly the three best players in their position coming back. But you're also talking about giving up a guy who might be the best quarterback in the country. And, and the that, number one overall pick. And the number one overall pick. And and that still outweighs everything for me. Now, there's the we have evidence of freshmen performing at the level necessary to win a national title on talented teams recently with Trevor Lawrence and then Tua getting inserted into the game in 2017. And I do think that C.J. Stroud will be very good. Um, I don't know about Jack Miller. Jack Miller was good in high school. He's dealt with injuries. I'm excited when we get a chance to see him healthy and play again to get a better gauge on, on where exactly he is. Um, but for the moment, I and I think a lot of other people are very high on what C.J. Stroud will eventually be. And I don't think it's crazy that we could be two years down the line. And, and maybe he's not quite on this field's Lawrence level, but he is of the same kind of ilk of, of these first-round quarterbacks that we were, you were talking about, guys who win national championships. But I wouldn't be willing to bet on that on him being that as a true freshman just for the sake of getting back even the three young Okuda and Dobbins I just think quarterbacks way too important Mm -hmm. Ohio State is still talented without the lot without those three guys Uh, maybe and not as talented as they would be with them obviously but Justin Fields is just too good like this guy I, I think he is I feel pretty confident already saying that he's the best quarterback Ohio State's ever had um and he in theory can get better next year He's he's too special to give up. I don't really care what combination of players you're giving me. Yeah, you know, and whenever we have these debates um, about quarterbacks, it's always about accomplishment, stats, year starting, all that stuff. But let's just cut the bullshit and like look at each other in the eyes, like best friends do. And I think like we actually agree that he's the best player and best quarterback Ohio State might have had in history, and especially in our lifetime. Like, can we just like actually agree on something for once? He's probably got to do more before you can say that definitively. But I would agree. Let's cut the crap, Bill. Well, he's got to. He's only played one year. You don't. I I, I agree. If you said, if you told me, like, will he be that? Yes. I don't think you can say he's already there. I think that you can take a look at a player and just look at him and know. You don't need three years of sample size to know. And you know, I understand that the idea is you want to see it over a long period of time before you can definitively say it. But in terms of a skill set standpoint, um, from what he's able to do physically, the throws that he made last year, the way that he led the team to a perfect season—that's the most perfect regular season a team could possibly have. Um, you know, everything that he's done from um, a leadership standpoint, a off the field standpoint, on the field standpoint, and just a physical gift standpoint—I I don't know. What else I have to see? Do we need to see him put up 50 points against Purdue again to know? Like, does he have to win a national yeah. championship? I don't know what else I need to see here. And, like, I was the – like, a year ago at this time, I was the one saying, dude, left Georgia. He can't be that good. George, how good? I was wrong. <laughs> I was very, very wrong. And, like, if you think um, – just to go back to, like, the way I initially reacted to the question, Bill, when you said um, – I when I, or excuse me, when I said I'd give him up for – 
um, Okuda and Young. I was thinking those are two top five prospects. And I think that if you made that trade, Ohio State would walk into the playoff. I think Stroud or Miller would win the Big Ten with that defense. Um, And with these receivers, I just don't know if Ohio State could win a national championship without somebody that special at quarterback, which is why I changed my mind in the middle of the sentence because I was like kind of processing it in my head and just like, yes, yes, yes. And then when they play Clemson, can Jack Miller or C.J. Stroud win? And it's like you need Justin Fields to be healthy in that game. And that's why you and I, I think arrived at the same spot. Yeah, I agree 100%. That that's that was my ultimate rationale too cuz I think he, he, I agree with you that they could get into the playoff, you know, Miller, Stroud, whoever is a freshman, I think they figure it out and get there. They're just that much more talented than everyone in their league. And they also get there I think with the way they're constructed now. We've talked about that before, but you need that elite NFL top of the line quarterback that and they're like This is a pretty good quarterback here. What are there like maybe 3 or 4 this year? Um potentially five maybe guys who might go in the first round um but only two of them are in the conversation for number one overall it's lawrence and it's justin fields and i just i I don't this list of players you get back in return would have to be pretty damn long for me to consider that and i would have to go back like and like can i get malik hooker Malik hooker back there at safety and maybe some of the offensive linemen for a couple years ago like there's just there's no combination that i can think of in my head that i would take over justin fields well i also think too that you can like kind of like we're going to talk about this the whole podcast, but uh, how good does your defense have to be to win a national championship with a freshman quarterback is the question. <laughs> really good. Because like, like Ohio State, like it's like I was talking to Nick Baumgartner, who covers Michigan and is a com- columnist up in Detroit, and I were DMing the other day, and he said, I just want to let you know that I just got done. He does all these film studies that you like, Bill, where he kind of breaks down and, and looks at things and – he said that the Ohio State defense last year was the best defensive unit he's seen in college football ever. And, like, coming from somebody who does a lot of these film breakdowns, I think it holds a lot of water. And they didn't win the national championship. So, like, what do you need to assemble on a team to do it? And granted, we've had a lot of discussions about the fact that Ohio State might have come up short or you know didn't accomplish what that team was built to do. But I just, like, even it's like Malik Hooker, uh, Jeff Okuda and Chase Young, that would be the most elite defense ever. Would that be enough to win a national championship if your team scores twenty one points in the in the NCAA or in the uh, playoff? No, I don't think like, so. What do you need? Like what do you need on both sides of the ball to win a national championship? It's like did LSU had the best offense in the history of college football last year, right? Yep. Like you take in, in like the whole adage of defense wins championships, Bill. Doesn't offense win championships in college football now? Yeah, I, w- I would say. I mean, it's all you need. All of it, right? You can't. I don't think you, you can't be bad at anything. But I would. I think you need a great transcendent offense before you need a great transcendent defense to win a national title. You got to score. I don't. Th- you can't be scoring, you know, twenty points a game and expect you're going to win a national title. I don't even know if you can like score thirty points a game right now and expect you're going to win a national title. Like these teams, LSU, even Alabama now, like these teams are scoring forty points a game. And that's I mean, like the norm. That's like the elite norm of college football right now. What was the final score of the festival? Twenty-seven, twenty-three, or twenty-nine, twenty-three? 29-23. Ohio State gave up twenty-nine points in the festival, and I would argue that they played a great game. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just the world we're living in. And it's just, I don't think that we could assemble a defense, even if you put Malik Hooker, Chase Young, and Jeff Okuda back on this defense. That's going to hold Clemson with Trevor Lawrence. Um, and everybody running wild up there to 14 points. Like, I just don't think that those are the games anymore. Ohio State's defense in 2016 was great, and I thought they played really well in the Fiesta Bowl in that game, and they lost 31 to nothing. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, and like you got to be able to have a team that wins if their defense gives up 31. Yeah, which means you need Justin Fields. Yeah. And even with Over Justin it. Fields last year, it didn't happen. So I can't imagine what it would be like going in there without him. Now, I do think there's a chance that C.J. Stroud one day will be a really good quarterback or Jack Miller. Not trading Justin Fields off this team. This guy, you don't trade the number one overall pick on offense at quarterback. Nope. I agree. Look at that. You and me agreeing on something. All right, and that's it for the 4-6 to six with AMP this week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question is from Tim J. Uh, Trevion Henderson, is who is one of Ohio State's running back commits in the class of 2021 says trevion henderson recently was called one of the most complete running backs in the last decade uh, his comps include reggie bush and christian mccaffrey his junior film is 10 minutes of not getting tackled somebody was reading trevion henderson's 247 scouting breakdown what are your ex- expectations for his first year on campus starter yeah there's so Trey Sermon will be gone. It'll be Master Teague, Marcus Crowley, Mayan Williams, Steel Chambers. Like uh, I somewhere in that group, I think there are a couple of good running backs. There aren't any who have Trevion Henderson's skill set. And if he was on this roster right now, I think there'd be a chance he'd be the starter. I think he's that talented. Um, he's he's really like in terms of the running backs of Ohio State's recruited. I guess like going back to Zeke, like guys that I've watched just from like a natural skill set coming into college, he's the best. I don't even think it's close. Uh, whether or not that ultimately pans out and he and he reaches that potential when he's in college is another conversation. But my expectations for him his first year on campus is that if he's not the starter, he is heavily involved in the offense and basically a starter, even if on paper they might give the nod to an upperclassman. His comps include Reggie Bush and Christian McCaffrey. So do mine. <laughs> Read that out loud. Like, let's read that out loud together. Uh, man, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that – is he the first five-star running back they've signed? Since, Since the Beanie, beginning of the urban era? Yeah, I think like, Beanie was the last one. So, uh, number 10 overall player in 247 and 16 in the composite. Um, offers from everybody in the country. I've, I've watched his film. It looks like he's running on a different track as everybody else. <laughs> um, he's shifty and – has a lot of those characteristics. I love the thing that I love about running backs, and we've had this discussion in the past about vision and being able to understand the right cutback lanes or to anticipate where people are going to be before they're going to be there. And like that's the thing that like Maurice Claret was slow, but he knew where to be and how to get there. And J.K. Dobbins was really good at that. And you know, there's that one t- long touchdown run in the Fiesta Bowl where. Uh, he was a 68-yard touchdown run to make it 10 nothing in the first quarter, and he was running up in the middle of the field, and like he had one slight hesitation to the outside. The safety tripped over himself, and then he ran to the house. And it's just like there are certain body movements and, and twitches that these guys can do, and I don't think that every running back at Ohio State had that ability. Mike Weber did not have that ability. He was a really good running back. Uh, Master Teague doesn't have that ability. They're different types of runners. And the thing that really excites me about Henderson is that he has that ability to make people miss with natural instincts as a ball carrier, but also has muscle mass and seems to be somebody with speed and power. And the reason why he's a five-star prospect is because he's able to do all those things. So when Bill says he's the most complete running back um, that Ohio State's had, like I don't even think Ezekiel Elliott was all that great with vision. I mean, is that nuts to say? He's um, pretty good. 
He was, I mean, he was really good on it. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is I think J.K. Dobbins was better at Ezekiel Elliott at anticipating where holes were going to be and, and, and juking and shifting suddenly. Ezekiel Elliott was a powerful runner who hits gaps hard and was gone before you had a chance. And, and I'm not trying to knock him. He's the best running back in the NFL right now. But I'm just saying, like, from that, that one area of game, I think J.K. was the best one that we've seen since potentially Claret in terms of putting his foot in the ground, making somebody miss and moving on without being touched. And I think Henderson's kind of the whole package of all these guys. Henderson is listed at 5'11", 195, and he looks like – it's always hard to tell when you're watching a video and not seeing one person. And I haven't seen him in person because he's never been to Columbus. Uh, fun fact. But he looks like he can be get even bigger than that and maybe play like around like maybe 205, 210. The thing that jumps out about him when you watch him, and it's always tough to – because you're not 100% sure about the level of competition these guys are playing against, and that can always create you know false expectations. But he is able to move laterally, like you said, but like the elite, elite running backs are able to do that and then get back up to top gear immediately. And that was the one thing I think you can knock J.K. on, like the thing you and I always talk about with J.K. You always, say, you always talk about his lack of speed, and I don't think it, it was lack of speed with him because in a straight line he was fast as shit. But if he had to break stride, it took him – a little longer to get back up to his top speed and he got caught from behind sometimes guys like zeke and i think guys like trevion henderson break stride and are back at top speed almost immediately and don't get caught from behind um and that's what like that's why i think that he shows up next year no one else i don't think you can say that about anybody on this roster um which is fine because i still think there's good running backs but this is something different do we just like have a breakthrough i know that uh you and i have behind the scenes and on the scenes and i've paid you 50 dollars um about jk dobbins speed um i don't know we were coming back from a road trip and him and i were arguing like actually quite loudly in the car uh like yeah. we sometimes we get screaming at each other and bill does the condescending thing and then when the microphones aren't off i get more irritated um and sometimes i get a little snippy back and he i guess i'll bet you fi- i'll bet you any amount of money right now that jk doesn't ba- break a touchdown run for 70 yards this year and or was it 60 i don't know it was 60. a long touchdown run and the next week it was the michigan state game and like jk and it was kind of like a weird one wasn't it didn't somebody trip yeah. or something <laughs> somebody tried to somebody tried to like pop the ball out at the end instead of trying to tackle him <laughs> and he ended up winning the bet but i do think that that's a good indi- that's a good difference and you've said that before but i think that we can actually come to an agreement now on jk too um Maybe he wasn't slow as he's running the entire 40, but if he has to hesitate or make a move in the middle of his run, he might not get to be top speed, top end speed the way some of these other guys do. And if we can never talk about this again, that would be great as long as I can agree with you on that. Um, But Henderson, on film, looks the whole part. Now, the other thing that I always try to consider with skill position players, especially in the high school film room, I don't know what level he plays at high school-wise. And, like, that was one huge knock on Zeke. Because Zeke had, like, really, really good um, film from high school. But everybody was like, he plays with a bunch of people that can't nearly compete with him physically. Because it was a very low league in the Missouri high school football infrastructure. So, you know, sometimes film can be very misleading. Because you can't tell how fast the other person is. And, you know, I'm just trying to, like, bring it down to earth a little bit. Because... (laughs) combination of reggie bush and christian mccaffrey it's like okay it's like did you hear that new singer he sounds like john lennon and barbara streisand combined like i don't like what like you know what i mean it's a little much don't you think yeah yeah 
It's yeah, he's not um, Christian McCaffrey. I don't think Christian McCaffrey is going to show up here next year, but maybe he, he can become that maybe over the course of three years. Um, he's trying to like question. convince somebody that Frank Sinatra, like somebody's better at singing. Like, <laughs> yeah, Frank Sinatra is better than Barbara Streisand. I think Frank Sinatra is better as a singer slash performer than anything was anybody was at any other craft. Hmm. Nobody is better at what they do than Frank Sinatra was at singing. I don't. I don't have an immediate rebuttal to that. So you might be wrong to something. I'm surprised you don't. Because usually it's like. <laughs> Next question from Adam R. Assuming a full season uh, with around 50% stadium capacity, Ohio State's biggest games are at Oregon, at Penn State, and then home against Michigan. Where do you think the limited capacity will be the biggest advantage for the visiting team? Penn State next. You know what? I, I read this question and Penn State was my immediate answer, but then I thought, well, like the, the last few years, these two teams have played close games, like no matter where it is. I do think Penn State's helped by the Beaver Stadium whiteout, but, you know, Ohio State plays there every other year. And while it's intimidating, it's not anything new. Like they don't play at Oregon. Um, I don't, I've never been to Alton. I just heard of what it's like. I, th- I think you've been there before. I have been there, yeah. Um, but it wasn't a good, like, I've been to Alton Stadium when I was in college as a student newspaper at Arizona. So, like, I think. I think Oregon actually like ran 500 yards of total offense in the first half or something, and Mark Stoops was there, and he's like, "I hate my job. I'm quitting." Like I, I like remember specifically in the tunnel after that game, but they do. It is nippy outside when I went, and they have these like duck sounding. I don't know how to describe it, but I. No stadium that I've ever been in is louder than Penn State. At, at the height of Penn State, but mm. I also understand traveling to Autzen as a student reporter at Arizona does isn't necessarily the USC game. So, like, I don't think that was probably their best crowd, but it was a night game, and I think it pales in comparison and size and just visually intimidation wise to to Penn State. And you know, I don't know. Like Ohio State is fortunate if that were to happen um, to you know get a break on the home and home against Oregon when it comes to a time where the crowds might be reduced, but. I do think that Penn State, and we've had this discussion on this podcast all the time, I, I you can't convince me that Penn State's not the best atmosphere in college football, uh, or at least in the Big Ten. It's the best in the Big Ten for sure. I don't, I have not seen enough of college football to know whether it's the best in college football, but I would listen to an argument for it. I still think my answer to this is Oregon, only because Oregon is so unfamiliar. So if you can go to that unfamiliar place against a pretty good Oregon team and not have to deal with that added element um, – I think I'd give that a sl- just a very slight edge over Penn State. Here against against Michigan, I don't think it matters all that much. I'm very, very curious just to see if and when this happens. I mean, I think that stadiums will be lucky to get half the capacity in there. I, I don't – again, we're not going to go down this road, but I, I do think that I'm very curious to see what playing football without a crowd or with a very small crowd will look like. I really hope that I've been watching some of these soccer games uh, that are happening over in Europe, and I was watching some of the um, the women's soccer league over the weekend, and they're all playing in stadiums with no people, obviously, but the television broadcasts are like pumping in fake crowd noise, and I find it distracting and annoying. I want to hear what's happening. Like if I'm watching a college football game on, on the fall and they're playing in empty stadiums and they're pumping in fake crowd noise in the broadcast to make it sound more authentic, like, I think it's going to suck. I'd rather hear the thing you never get to hear when there yeah. are thousands of people in the stands. Like, own it like the XFL and, like, see if you can, like, bring in a new, like, window of opportunity to the viewer. Just, like, take it. 
if there's going to be crowd noise and do something that you might not be able to do with crowds while you have the opportunity, I think is a very good idea, and I agree with that. I bet coaches would fight against that, though. If, they would, if they especially at the that. college yeah. level. Yeah, yeah, because everything's Fort Knox in college football. In case yeah. You know. Uh, next question from Adam S. If you and Ari had a crystal ball, what recruit would you be booking for the 2021 recruiting class? Um, you probably have a better grasp on this than I do, so I'll just quickly give my answer. Mine's Emeka Ibuka, the receiver from Seattle. Um, and it's only because like there aren't a lot of guys left out there, and it seems like he's been like considered an Ohio State lean for a long time, and Brian Hartline's got a really good track record of landing these guys sort of wherever they are, so he'd be my pick. That was my pick, too. Um, Ohio State's class is already almost full, <laughs> so it's kind of hard with 18 commitments now to to kind of break it down and, and say, you know, in terms of the ones that people want to hear, because that's what you want to hear. Like, I, I do think there's a chance that they're going to get another defensive back. Um, I don't know if it's something that I would feel – any of the three that are still on their border are ones that I would feel most secure about, like I would with um, Egbuka. But, you know, you you also just did a story, and this is, I thought, would be a good opportunity for you to pump it up on uh, Tristan Lee this week. Uh, what did you get uh, in terms of feel for that recruitment? Because I don't really know much about that recruitment other than Ohio State would love to have him. Um, and where would you put him on your big board? You see that I did that? I did that for you. I would put the story that I would put him first on the, on the on the big board. Um, I, th- I think he's like their most important sort of outstanding uncommitted player because when we talked about this last week when we talked about J.C. Latham going to Alabama. I just think they could really use a, another sort of top flight elite tackle. They can use elite guys everywhere, but that ju- tackle and corner still jump out to me as as not major holy shit urgent na- um, needs, but needs nonetheless. Um, and I guess the vibe I got was that it's probably a little more open than I would have assumed. Um, and part of that is because there's just been so much talk about Ohio State and Latham that I don't think maybe people like myself who aren't like, I'll admit, like I'm not intimately plugged in with the recruiting happenings of Ohio State. I look at stuff and I, and I analyze it, but I'm not going to pretend like I know everything. Um, I would... I hadn't really thought of Tristan Lay until like last week when Latham went to Alabama. And then like when he went, I was like, well, they're not going to get Lay because Lay's going to go to Clemson. Um, I don't feel that way now. He he wants to see if there's visits and who knows if they're going to be visits. But I do think if visits happen, like that's a legitimate shot for Ohio State to, to land him. And he's the number three tackle in the country. He's actually slightly uh, ranked, uh, slightly ahead of J.C. Latham in the rankings. Not that it matters all that much. Um but I think there's a shot as long as they, if they can get him on campus again. He was here in the fall, in the last football season, but I think official visits seem like they're very important in that recruitment, and he hasn't had a chance to do them. If he had a chance to do them this spring and summer, I think it'd be over already. But he hasn't, and I think he wants to wait for that to happen. If they don't happen, I don't like Ohio State's chances. If they do, I think I would give Ohio State a pretty good shot. I'm working on a story right now, um, not an Ohio State story, but a national story just about kind of starting to – picture a world where official visits don't happen at all in 2020 because I think it's prudent to start kind of considering that and I do think it's very interesting how differently things are going to go or have gone without them and and the way things would look if they don't happen and you know guys are still going across the country and committing to places they haven't visited Henderson is the perfect example of that Um, but just the idea that like if Latham was able to officially visit this spring to both Ohio State and Alabama, like maybe his recruitment would have been different. Maybe it wouldn't have been different at all. But, you know, 
making these decisions and how the NCAA is going to compensate for the fact that these kids don't get to go to the colleges that they are choosing between, I think is a very interesting situation. And you're the one who brought this up, and I never really considered it, but if Ohio State and other programs are locked down and staying in their little bubble during the season because they don't want to have a, an outbreak within their team, they're not going to want official visitors coming in from the outside off of airplanes into their program and risking the idea that you know somebody might catch something from somebody who's coming in on a visit. So I think it's a very complex issue and something that we really, kind of really need to dive into. So I'm trying to do that. That uh, dovetails nicely into this next question from Jim C. And you, I'll let you do some of the heavy lifting on this because you have a better idea of the picture nationally. With recent commits, or sorry, with recent comments on the podcast about folks expecting a general wave of decommitments uh, related, lar- related largely to the pandemic and an in- inability to get on campus. How secure do you think the commitments are in Ohio State's class? How does OSU security or lack thereof compare to the other top programs? Well, somebody asked a question in the recruiting mailbag that I did um, that published on Tuesday morning, and somebody asked, like, are they, is, is Alabama slow playing to see if there's going to be a, a wave of decommitments to see if they can get some people later in the, in the process? And, like, I'm thinking to myself, college football recruiting is a food chain. If you're at the top of the food chain, you're the ones eating and going after everybody and um, are the aggressor. And if you're committed to Ohio State, like I do think that there is a chance that, you know, prospects would hold a spot in a class because that's the whole thing, right? Kids are committing before they can visit so they can hold a spot in their class. And once they're allowed to officially visit, um, there might be a wave of decommitments while they can go, you know, look at other places. But like I think. Ohio State has commitments from the guys that they want. The guys that are committed are top-end players, 12 in the top 115 nationally. Like, I don't think that a lot of the same things that apply to, like, a Tennessee, which is, like, the popular one that everybody's talking about, apply to Alabama and Ohio State. Like, I think that, you know, they go after the top guys. The top guys want to go there. It's a competitive class to be in. Um, You know, maybe one or two, I guess, uh, if they're not immune to it. They weren't immune to it this week when – Alabama flipped a three-star out of Ohio State's class like it happens, but I wouldn't necessarily – I mean, we see this all the time, Bill, like Ohio State fans freak out. How can this class fall apart? This class isn't going to fall apart. I don't think the class is going to fall apart either, but I would – and it's just a, it's a matter of, of numbers, I suppose, but I would say that they're probably a little less secure than the other top programs because we talk, we're talking about Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia, and then everybody else when we're talking about this stuff for the most part. OSU has 18 commitments, Clemson has 14, and then Bama and Georgia each have nine. So I don't know if Bama and Georgia are intentionally slow playing things or this is just how things happen naturally, but they seem to have been a little more – or they just lost guys that they thought they were going to get. I guess that's also possible. But when you have fewer numbers and you're being a little more pragmatic, I guess, about who you're adding and when you're adding them, I think you can feel a little more secure about that. And if you have 18, like Ohio State, and six are in the state, so they're all secure – um, but, you know, like Trevion Henderson's never visited, and Denzel Burke has never visited. And how do you say Adelaide's first name? Tumache? Tumache. Tumache Adelaide is like, I don't know, if he ever gets a chance to visit Florida, I don't, like that could be tough for Ohio. That could be, oh, make things tough for Ohio State that they're not expecting at the moment. So I don't think the class is going to fall apart, but I think they could lose a guy or two. Because that's yeah, just for like, sure, yeah, definitely. Like within wouldn't, the realm. wouldn't be, the, but I also think they could gain a guy or two too. Like, and there's a question about this later. But like, if Jordan, if visits happen and Jordan Hancock, who's committed to Clemson, decides he wants to visit Ohio State, like I think they can get Jordan Hancock or Jalen Davies, who's committed to Oregon, visits Ohio State. I think Ohio State can get him too. So it goes both yeah. ways. But um, it's like Henderson guess, is a perfect example of this bill because Ohio State needed two running backs 
they had one committed already um, and Evan Pryor and there was only one more spot and then Donovan Edwards out of Michigan was also on the board it's like Henderson in theory as we're making this up completely commit to Ohio State now save my spot in Ohio State's class then if I can visit then we'll, we'll visit this another time like that's the exact reason why people think a wave of decommitments is coming and that's the case uh, so, like, in terms of, like, whether or not Ohio State could lose a player or two, it's absolutely possible, yeah. You know, and we're not used to seeing Ohio State, you know, lose players. Like, I think we can count on two hands how many times a, a program has truly flipped a player out of Ohio State's class. And given the circumstances of the world right now, I just think that everyone's more susceptible to it. And Ohio State falls into that category. But in terms of, like, staying up at night wondering whether this, this class is going to, you know, fall apart or things are going to go crazy, I, I wouldn't fear that either couple more questions to get to before we do that. One, two, uh, plug <clears throat> subscribing, uh, rating, and reviewing to 4 to 6 of A&B, wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps us out greatly. We, I don't think we picked up a five-star review on Apple in a while. If you want to help us out with that, you can do that. We know uh, the amount of people who listen to the podcast is uh, way bigger than the number of reviews we have on Apple. So maybe we can make those two numbers even a little, even out a little bit. Wow, you just called out everybody, didn't you? That's metrics. No. Not in a way, uh, not in any mean way. We love everyone who listens to this podcast, and we appreciate your support. And that's another way to help us out if you are so inclined. Uh, and when you do that, you get great questions like this one from Scott B., uh, who asks, what is my, mean Bill's, version of the filet of fish Ari loves the filet of fish He thinks it's the best sandwich in fast food. It is certainly um, an out-there fast food take. I don't think it's crazy, but it's certainly not in line, I think, with how most people think. The thing Scott I hate— before you continue yeah is that people like make a face before they've even freaking eaten it i mean it's fast food fish yeah what as opposed to like the awesome fresh fish you're getting at tgi fridays like i mean like what are we talking about i don't eat fish unless i can see the water where it came from yeah well one time you ordered flounder uh in galveston and it looked like roadkill so yeah, but at least I knew where. At least I knew where it came from. <laughs> I don't even know if it does come from the Gulf. I don't know. I think it came from. <laughs> I don't think it's fresh caught from right over there. Uh, but it's like actually like one of the things that tastes and it sounds crazy. And you might have. I don't know which you had it one day to humor me, and you thought it was fine. But the soft bun, the tartar sauce, the cheese, and the fish—it always tastes the freshest to me. It tastes more fresh than the chicken and and the hamburgers. Like. It sounds they gross do. if you try to, like, get in your head about it, but, like, it is a very flavorful, delicious sandwich. They do. It's an interesting thing. Like, McDonald's is known for its hamburgers, cheeseburgers, worldwide, but the sandwich they seem to take the most care with is the fish sandwich. Okay. So, like, now we're now we're getting somewhere. I thought it was I thought it was good, and I've had it maybe once or twice since that time that you and I had it together, and this was a couple of years ago. Um, it's just never front of mind for me. Like, I don't, I'm not like, man, I really need a filet of fish right now, but it is good. Because, I'm like, not, I'm, I'm not like, saying it's bad. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I like fish sandwiches everywhere. Like, I would get a fish sandwich yeah. at other places. Like, I've had the Arby's fish sandwich, the Wendy's one. Like, I, I just, but the McDonald's one is delicious. So, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it's just like another opportunity for me to share my thesis on just how good that sandwich is. And if you're like one of those people who's like scrunching up your face and saying it sucks without having ever had it, just go try it for me. Just try it. Just try it. Ari will buy you one. Yeah, everybody gets one. That's actually a pretty expensive sandwich. I know. Uh, so Scott's question was, what is my version of that? Like, which widely available fast food item do I have an inexplicable love for? And mine's not weird. 
you're like yours is a little stranger. I don't. I think if you pulled a hundred people, you might get like three who say the fillet of fish. Um, mine is the sausage McMuffin, and I know that's like a very boring answer, but that is my go-to like all the time. If I'm like, any hour of the day, because now McDonald's has all day breakfast. Like I think the one dollar, two English muffins, sausage patty, cheese. Make sure you do the English muffins right and get a little little crisp on there. Um, I think that's the best sandwich in fast food when you factor in the idea that it's only one dollar. Bang for the buck. It's not even the best breakfast sandwich at that location. Yeah, like the McGriddle, whatever. The McGriddle is okay. fine. I get it. It's pancakes. No, Gar- like it's good. Like, no, it's good. I'm not. I'm just saying, like, if I went to McDonald's and want a breakfast sandwich, I would not even order the one that you like. Yeah, and I wouldn't order the fish sandwich because it's fish at McDonald's. But, no, I know, you know but to like, eat, you also own. might get the fish sandwich at McDonald's over other fish sandwiches at other places. Maybe, yeah. Heck, it's fine. Saying, it's fine. I'm like, not saying that it's like that. It, like, I shouldn't say that it's the best sandwich in fast food. It's not the best sandwich in fast food. But I do have an inexplicable love for the sausage McMuffin, and like I could eat one at any time. And whenever I'm on the road and I'm hungry and I'm near McDonald's, I will pull through and buy an iced coffee and a dollar sausage McMuffin and like eat it as a snack. Okay, that's, that's just you get to be as big as me. Like that, uh, that is acceptable. Like when you, your, uh, your love for it. Like this is the thing too, and I think part of our argument earlier today. It's like I say very authoritatively. That the filet fish sandwich is the best sandwich in fast food. And in case anybody is concerned about it, it's my opinion. Like, it's not, a, you can't make it a fact. It's the sandwich that I like the most in fast food. Does that mean I don't like Chick fil A spicy sandwich or Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich? No, I like all fast food. It's amazing. My personal preference is that. Your personal preference is the uh, sausage McMuffin. Yep. No egg. But I'm surprised, but like, for me, I would still say that the filet fish is my favorite best fast food item. You wouldn't say that about yours? It is my favorite fast food item, yes. I, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to pretend that it's, everyone should think it's the best sandwich of fast food, but it is my favorite fast food item. Everybody should think the filet fish is. <laughs> <laughs> I get personally offended when you don't. That's what the difference between you and me. When people don't agree with me, I get mad. And when people don't agree with you, you don't care. I don't. Life's too short, man. Life's too short to get upset about people's fast food takes. More important things in the world. Yeah, as long as you don't think Taco Bell's as good as one of the burger places, then we're good in my book. Uh, I don't think that um, Taco Bell's something I really got to be in the mood for. And even then, I'm like, is this a good decision? Yeah, I I'm a fast food guy. I don't think I've could tell you the last time I went to Taco Bell. Am I never in my adult life willingly? Not even drunk. <laughs> Uh, I've mostly gone drunk. If I've probably gone there, I don't know, 95% of the time I've gone there, I've been drunk. And even then, it's not good. Back to football questions. I think this is a short and sweet answer from the both of us. If I know you the way I know you, and, and I just think it's the way to way to go here. Whose career would you prefer to have? Dwayne Haskins, where you sit for a while and then have one great season, or Devin Gardner slash Brian Hoyer, where you play a lot of the pretty high level for multiple seasons? Like if I'm playing... Yeah, I'll take the one that becomes a millionaire. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'll I mean, if Brian Hoyer did stage and shake uh, Roger Goodell's hand, that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Devin Gardner. Did he ever sign an NFL contract? He might have yeah, signed a practice squad so. or something. But Hoyer actually had a nice NFL career. 
Hoyer's still in the NFL. Yeah. He, I think he's on the Patriots, isn't he? Yeah. He just got knocked down the depth chart a little bit because of uh, old Cameron Newton going there. But, uh, yeah, he's on the Patriots still. You know uh, what? Devin Gardner, let's see, last played for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in 2018, uh, was with the Patriots practice squad and Steelers practice squad. Yeah, just tell me career earnings. That's all I care about. It's not on his Wikipedia page. Oh, okay. Well, you can Google that, but I want to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Now that we're talking about, like, what would you experience or what would you want to experience? Obviously, going to the Heisman Trophy ceremony and just, like, shredding people throughout an Ohio State football season would be an awesome feeling. Um, but what would you rather experience? And I ask my friends this all the time because I'm, like, the king of would-you-rathers. This one will be an appropriate one. But would you rather drop 50 points in an NBA playoff game seven, win the Masters by shooting an incredible final round, or throwing a no-hitter in baseball? Mm. Like, what sports accomplishment would you want, like, would you, like, want to insert yourself into? Hmm. Not the basketball one. I don't – I think I'd pick either the golf or or baseball. Why, because those are more individual accomplishments? Yes. It would – yeah. I think both of those underscore your – well, I guess that's not true. I don't know. I guess they can all underscore your supreme individual ability. Um, but like fifty points, I don't know how many fifty-point games have there been in the like in the history of the, of the NBA. Uh, game like seven, though, if, if you drop fifty and, and lift your team to a game seven, fifty in a playoff, game yeah. seven in a title game, is the world is the no hitter in the World Series? No hitter, just a no hitter. Let's just say playoff no hitter. Uh, if that was in the, like no hitter, like to win the World Series, I think I would pick that. If it's just a playoff no hitter, I think I would do like playing an incredible round and winning the Masters. Let's just put it this way: last final round wins Masters, no hitter, Game Seven of the World Series, fifty point win, uh, game in Game Seven of the NBA Finals, or five hundred yards passing as a quarterback in the Super Bowl. If it's Game Seven of the World Series, I throw a no hitter. I would pick that because like that. I think the other things would get lost in the shuffle of the history of the sport a little more yeah. than throwing a no-hitter in Game 7 of the World Series. Yeah, it's, but it's more so just about, like, what would you want to experience, like, based on the sports you like to play, like, what you think would be the coolest. Like, I think just, like, dropping 50 in an NBA game would just be the greatest feeling in the world because it's just, I don't know, it's a more active game. There's more gloating involved. Like, I just, like, I don't yeah. know. I just feel like... Being a point guard like Russell Westbrook in one of those games where he just goes nuts would just be a very fun feeling. My favorite sport growing up, and, and I think the sport I was probably best at, was baseball. And I pitched a little bit. I wasn't very good. But, like, with those games where I was pitching and pitching well, like, that was the best feeling in the world. Like, just mowing people down. And I was always the biggest guy on the field, too, so I felt like a badass standing up on the mound, like, being elevated to everybody. Everybody th- thought I would throw real hard, and then I just throw, like, a 55-mile-hour fastball up there, and they swing and miss at it because they, they can't believe how slow it is. Um, but, like, pitching's fun. Pitching pitching when you're on is really fun. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think I would still pick that. Yeah. I mean, they're all great, but yeah. would you rather anyway. be a star athlete or a uh, very successful musician uh, athlete, like you take on more of a of a risk, I suppose. But I just like I love sports more than I love music. I love them both, but athlete. I just like what life do you think would be better though? Um, probably sports. I still think you get the fame, you get the money, 
and like you get the competition of it. I don't. I think sports sports can probably hold your attention a little more than being a musician. I think I feel like being a musician can get a little monotonous. You'd rather be like Cam Newton or Drake. I'd like I would rather Cam be Newton. Drake. I'd rather be Cam Newton, especially now because I'm going to win a Super Bowl this year. <laughs> All right, enough of that. I, I took us off track though. But that was kind of like fun. Would you rather? Right. That's a good question. Yeah. Anyway, we both rather be Dwayne Haskins because we want that money. Yeah. Um. Two more questions. Ryan T, uh, doomsday scenario. We talked a little bit about this at the top. Maybe we should have we should have paired this with the question we talked about first. Doomsday scenario: College football season slash practice are canceled for the fall. Justin Fields still leaves. Does having one spring and summer of practice versus the two expected springs and summers and one fall of practice help Stroud or Miller beat the other? Uh, obviously, there would be less developed, so the overall outcome would be a worse QB. But does less practice time help one just in terms of being named a starter? Well. If I'm reading this, it's kind of a hard question to follow. But um, Fields is gone, right? Yep. They're going to name one. Any- they're going to have to name one anyway. Yeah, I guess he's asking. Like, is there is there anything innate about either quarterback that you think? Oh, like, oh, I see. I just misunderstood. Extra, okay, like not having basically like not having to compete this year. Would, I think like, Stroud him. would probably have. Oh, like which one would it have the advantage in a less less time to prepare? I think it would be Stroud just for health reasons. Yeah, I I would think like well I think Miller would be helped by time off because I, I I think he's healthy like I don't have any reason to believe he's not healthy but say for some reason he wasn't fully healthy and then like Stroud had played because he just had to and that gives him an upper hand in the competition like what happened with Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow in 2017 um, so that scenario would help them but I don't really think it gives anyone a super leg up either way what it does do is like. Kyle McCord shows up in 2021 and no one's played. And I think that would give him a better shot to win the starting quarterback as a true freshman because he's competing against guys who like have nothing on him other than they're older. Yeah. That'd be pretty crazy. I mean, it could season. happen. I mean, I mean, it could happen. I think it's perfectly feasible Yeah, that it could happen. And it would be wild that, you know, 2020 doesn't happen. And then 2021, it's a three man quarterback competition with guys who never played before. That'd be fun as hell to cover, but I'd rather have a football season this year. Yeah, it would be. Um, a, what would be more painful for Ohio State fans: losing Fields after one year because the season got canceled, or what happened in the Fiesta Bowl? It's gonna really suck for a lot of reasons. It's gonna really suck if like we don't get to see Justin Fields like max out in college. Yeah. And whatever, like I want everybody to be safe and healthy. Whatever, whatever the safest and healthiest so, thing yeah, is just, to we're do. Just, but yeah, that goes without saying. We're just kind of yeah, yeah. That would that would uh, that would be a downer for sure. Uh, all right, last question from Dylan J. If you could flip any committed twenty twenty one prospect to Ohio State, regardless of whether or not they were even considering Ohio State, who would you choose? And he says, let's remove the obvious answer of J C Latham. Does this does this mean like just because you'd want to watch them play, or which one do you think would fit in Ohio State's class the best? I think you could take it either way. I took it as like what they what they need the most. Okay, well then that's I have two answers. One, Corey Foreman, if you could just add somebody, mm-hmm. number one player in the country, defensive end, Ohio State could use a, a playmaker there. He's built like Chase Young was. I think that he's the clear, obvious answer. Um, do you agree with that, or did you have somebody different? If you were just taking anybody to take somebody, then yeah. If you were trying to fill needs, I would not pick him. What, so then who would you pick? Tony Grimes, who, like, we're recording this at 4, or it's 4.03 p.m. on Tuesday, and, like, in an hour he's going to commit to North Carolina, right? 
that's the expectation yeah so he's the number one corner in the country i have said before and i've written before that i thought corner was the number one position of need in this recruiting class so i would take the guy who's the best yeah fair enough position. And it's like you also could just like flip caleb williams into the class and then say goodbye to mccord like i think they would do that but like mccord's a really a five-star player too so that doesn't really but i would just do will shipley for fun three running backs just He's like an all-purpose back, and like that's the real comparison to Christian McCaffrey, right? Christian McCaffrey, yeah. Wonder why he's really, really good. And like I've the comparison on two four seven sports for Shipley, like that's the thing too. It's like, yeah, everybody wonders why he's compared to McCaffrey, but like two four seven rose above that obvious cliche of a comparison and, and compared him to Joe Mixon because he's got really Love like tree tree trunk legs. The guy's a powerful runner. He's fast as shit, and like is going to be a really good player. I really wanted Joe Mixon in our dynasty draft, and I waited too long to to snag him. Oh, yeah, well, didn't get him. I had was counting on Jared Stidham, so I almost traded for Jared Stidham, which would have been a disaster. Yeah, great, Bill. All right, anyway, yeah, things work out well for anybody. Uh, one last thing before we go, Dalton P asked a question that I thought was just like too good to. Not that everyone's questions weren't good, because they were, but Dalton P's question was, what are the top five things that need to happen for Ohio State to win a national title this season? And like that, to me, is its own episode. So I think Let's we're going to take that. Dalton's question and make it if, if make it an episode, maybe even like next week's episode. Yeah. Because cool. that that's, that's a good conversation to have. As we chug even uh, closer to what we hope will be a 2020 football season. Thanks, everyone, for sending in your questions. Uh, again, one last time, if you would like to send in questions for future mailbag episodes, you can get subscribed to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash 4-6. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you find podcasts. Uh, make sure you hit up Ari on Twitter for the filet fish Fund. Yeah, He'll get those out to you. And uh, anything else, Ari, before we sign off here? I got to go to the bathroom. So He's got to go to the bathroom. We'll see you guys next week. All right. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.